Chronic hepatitis B is a potentially serious disease that can lead to cirrhosis, liver failure, and hepatocellular carcinoma. Several effective pharmacological therapies are available for use in treatment. However, who and how to treat can be complicated and confusing. What is a clinician to do? Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm Dr. Leslie Lunt, your host, and with me today is Dr. Jorge Herrera. Dr. Herrera is a professor of medicine and the assistant director of the Division of Gastroenterology at the University of South Alabama College of Medicine in Mobile, Alabama. He has published numerous articles in journals, including the American Journal of Gastroenterology and Digestive Diseases. He also has contributed chapters to books such as Secrets in Gastroenterology and recently served as guest editor for Practical Gastroenterology on its viral hepatitis series. His current research focuses on high-dose antiviral therapy, as well as the use of interferon in the treatment of chronic hepatitis C infection. Welcome to ReachMD. Thank you, Leslie. It's a pleasure to be here today. Uh, Dr. Herrera, what are the most common risk factors for hepatitis B? The most common risk factor for hepatitis B is usually sexual transmission or what we call vertical transmission. Patients that have hepatitis B usually have fairly high amount of virus in the blood, so it's, it's much easier to transmit than, let's say, hepatitis C or HIV. So sexual transmission remains an important way that people get infected. What we're seeing more and more here in the U.S. is hepatitis B in immigrants, and usually immigrants from the Far East where they get the infections from their mothers, and that's what we call vertical transmission. Mother-to-baby transmission is very common, and unfortunately when the child, the neonate, becomes infected, the likelihood of going on into chronicity is over 90%. So we're seeing a lot of people coming from other countries with hepatitis B, and particularly in cities where there's a lot of immigrants, that's probably the bulk of the hepatitis C you're going to see. And what's the best test to diagnose hepatitis B? Well, the diagnosis of uh, hepatitis C, uh, hepatitis B, I'm sorry, is complex. And the reason that it's complex is that we have so many different antigens and antibodies that you can measure. And because of that, many doctors just throw their hands up and say, forget about this, I'm not even going to try. It's actually quite simple. If you're not in the business of treating viral hepatitis and you just want to know if your patient has hepatitis B or not, do a hepatitis B surface antigen test. It's called a hepatitis B surface antigen. If that test is positive, that person has hepatitis B. Now, granted, not all of them are going to have active hepatitis. Not all of them need to be treated. But if you see that and you're not in the business of treating hepatitis B, you should refer them to a gastroenterologist or a liver specialist to assess the patient and decide what needs to be done. If the hepatitis B surface antigen is negative, but other tests, other antibodies, or whatever you order is positive, usually it's not as important. So the most important test is a surface antigen. Okay. Now, is there a difference in the management if you have an acute versus a chronic hepatitis B infection? Yes, there is a big difference. And also has to do with the age of the patient. Um, <clears throat> for example, if an adult, defined as over age 20 or so, develops acute hepatitis B, you don't do anything. And the reason you don't do anything is that 95% of them will resolve the infection without any treatment, will develop immunity, and that will be the end of it. And I emphasize an adult. The younger the person is when they get hepatitis B, the higher the risk that the infection will become chronic. That is the reason why in other countries where they don't immunize the population, you will see that when a neonate becomes infected with hepatitis B, 90% of them become chronic. But in the typical case in the U.S. will be a 25-year-old man or woman that comes in jaundiced, you do the test, they're surface antigen positive, and the way you diagnose acute hepatitis B is you have to have two tests positive, the surface antigen positive and the hepatitis B core IgM antibody positive. 
The reason you need both is that if you only have the surface antigen, you don't know if it's acute or chronic. The way you tell the difference is by doing the hepatitis B core IgM antibody. If that's positive, then this is acute hepatitis B. And usually what you do is you give supportive care. You know, you, you treat their nausea or whatever problems they have. And within three months or so, they will resolve the infection and the surface antigen will go away. So that's acute. Chronic, on the other hand, is defined as a person that has had the surface antigen positive for more than six months. If that surface antigen is still there after six months, it is not going to go away by itself. And those are the people that need to be worked up to see whether they need treatment or not. Mm-hmm. Now, once a patient is diagnosed with hepatitis B, what should we be telling them about their risk of infecting others? I think that's a very important point that we often overlook because we're seeing this patient and we're concentrating on their care. We forget the people around them. Hepatitis B, as I mentioned a minute ago, is much more infectious than hepatitis C or HIV. And for that reason, we need to tell patients that they need to notify their sexual contacts about the diagnosis. The sexual contacts should be tested, number one, to see if they have infection or not. If they don't have infection, they need to be tested to see if they're immune or not. And if they're not immune, then they need to be vaccinated. And in the case of acute hepatitis B, the sexual contact may even need to be uh, given the immune globulin so that they can get immediate protection plus the vaccine for permanent protection. In addition to that, we recommend that household contacts be also tested and immunized if they haven't been immunized. Fortunately, in the U.S., we have been now immunizing children or neonates for many years. Uh, I can't remember how many, but it's been over 10 years, I believe. So a lot of the adolescents have already been immunized. Uh, But particularly, they come from other countries. Uh, They need to be tested and immunized if, if necessary. But I think it's very important to make sure that we counsel patients about infecting others uh, recommend that they use condoms uh, during sexual activity if they cannot abstain, and document that we have done that in the medical record. Mm-hmm. Now, if they're already infected with chronic hepatitis B, what is what is our approach? Again, I think that if you've documented the chronicity that is more than six months, uh, they need to see a specialist. Okay. What do we do? What do we do when we see them? Well, this is where it gets complicated. Hepatitis B. Uh, I'll make it simple just to give an idea of what happens. Hepatitis B in general can be classified when it's chronic into three groups. There is what we call the immune active patient, that is the one that has ongoing hepatic inflammation, they have high viral load, they're the ones that are likely to go on to cirrhosis. Those are the ones that we can identify by checking the liver enzymes being elevated, the viral load being high, and those are the ones that we want to treat. On the other end of the spectrum, you have what is called the inactive carriers. These are patients that even though they have surface antigen is positive, the viral load is very low or even non-detectable, and the liver enzymes are normal. These patients are in what we call remission, and all we need to do for them is monitor them. And the reason we need to monitor them is because sooner or later, many of them will reactivate. And then when they reactivate, we may need to intervene with therapy. And the third group, which is even more complicated, is what we tend to see in our immigrant population. These people that acquired infection in the neonatal period, their immune system basically thinks that the virus is not a foreign agent, so it doesn't try to attack the virus. So as a result, there is no hepatitis. If the immune system is not fighting the virus, there's no liver damage. But the viral load is very, very high because there's no immune system attacking the virus. These people can go on for many, many years without ever developing any liver injury, but they're at risk of developing liver cancer. So we need to monitor them, and there's a lot of discussion as to when do you treat these people. And that's very controversial in hepatology, but 
The bottom line is anyone that is surface antigen positive needs to see a specialist and needs regular follow-up at least every six months, if and until they lose that surface antigen, which many times never happens. For those who are just tuning in, welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Dr. Leslie Lunt, your host, and with me today is Dr. Jorge Herrera. We are discussing chronic hepatitis B infection. Now, Dr. Herrera, once you get the vaccine for hepatitis B, does that protect you forever, or do you have to get revaccinated at some point? At this time, the teaching is that it is forever, uh, forever meaning as long as we've had the vaccine. There's a cohort of patients that were immunized when the vaccine first came out in the early 1980s, and they've been followed since, and, and the teaching is that it, if you get it as an adult, that you probably don't need a booster. Some new information in children suggests that maybe they will need a booster during the adolescent years. That's still being worked out. However, there, there's one thing that happens that confuses a lot of people. When you get vaccinated, if you respond to it, you will develop a high titer hepatitis B surface antibody. And then with time, that titer may go down to undetectable levels. However, the fact that it's undetectable doesn't mean that you're not protected because the immune system has what is called an amnestic response so that if you get exposed to the virus, you will produce a rapid response and you will prevent the infection. But because we think that that's true, but we're not sure, what usually happens is if you've been vaccinated and you get exposed to, let's say, a needle stick injury from a hepatitis B patient, what they'll do is they'll check your antibody titer. If they can't find it, they'll give you one more shot, which will act as a booster. But really speaking, at this time, it appears that if you responded, you will be protected for at least 20 or more years. The problem is there is about a 15% of the population that doesn't respond. And, uh, and those people, there's something we can do to protect them. And we don't typically measure whether they respond or not after giving the vaccine, correct? For many years, we didn't. Most places that are doing it, like in hospitals, healthcare workers, and most of those places now are checking to see. But you're correct. Many people never check. So if you didn't check to see if you responded and your titer is undetectable and you get exposed, you need to go through the whole series again. Mm, okay. It's a series of three shots over six months. Sounds like I need to have it again, maybe. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Now, does the presence of cirrhosis impact the course of your treatment with hepatitis B? Yes, it, it surely does. Once a person with hepatitis B has gone on to cirrhosis, two things happen. Number one, they're much more likely to develop decompensated liver disease, and they're more likely to develop liver cancer. I think one of the things that we need to talk about is that hepatitis B virus is a carcinogen, but the chances of developing the virus appears to be related to the viral load and the activity of disease. For example, we talked a minute ago about the inactive carriers, which are the people that have normal liver tests and very low viral loads, but they have hepatitis B. The chances of getting liver cancer in that group is about 0.2% per year. You compare that with people that already have cirrhosis, even though their liver is functioning well, but they have cirrhosis from hepatitis B, their chances of cancer is about 3 to 4% per year. And by the time they develop decompensated cirrhosis with ascites or viruses or encephalopathy, their chances are about 8% per year, uh, which is fairly, very high when you compare it with non-hepatitis B patients. Mm -hmm. Now, what we have found is that if you can suppress the virus, not only can you uh, decrease the risk of cancer, but you may actually regress the cirrhosis in some cases, or you can make it better. Probably one of the most dramatic things is when we find these patients that come into the hospital in liver failure, and we find out that they have hepatitis B that was undiagnosed, and they look like they need a liver transplant, they get put on the list, but at the same time, we start treating them for hepatitis B, and some of them improve so much that they come off the list for the liver transplant, uh, and they don't need a transplant anymore. So it's pretty dramatic. So to answer your question, 
when you know that a person has cirrhosis, there are two things that you do. Your threshold for treating them goes down. In other words, we have certain rules as to who needs to be treated based on what the biopsy shows, how much inflammation, what the viral load is. When there's cirrhosis, we're much more likely to treat them and disregard any of those rules. And the second thing that we do is that we're much more aggressive. We usually treat hepatitis B with what we call one agent, one oral agent, but in the danger of doing that is that you may develop a resistance. And in cirrhosis, we don't want to mess with that. So we go from the beginning with dual therapy to be sure that we can hit the virus, hit it hard, hit it quick, and get it down fast. So we're much more aggressive when we're treating cirrhotic patients than the non-cirrhotics. Well, thank you for being on our show today. My pleasure. We've been discussing chronic hepatitis B infection with Dr. Jorge Herrera. I'm Dr. Leslie Lunt. You've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. We welcome your comments and questions. Please visit us at ReachMD.com. Our new on-demand and podcast features will allow you to access our entire program library. Thank you for listening. 